we were singing just a second ago is about the majesty of God, that he is king, he is in charge, you know, that we can take comfort in that truth. That when the world may look like it's out of control, it's not. God has uh, his hand on all things. He is in control. No matter what it might seem like to us, he is in control. And so we just have a range of emotions just sitting here in the pews today, and it changes. My prayer is you walk out here with a little bit more joy than you walked in here with. The Psalms captures that. As only songs do, and that is what the psalms are. Sometimes it's referred as a whole. It can be referred to as the Psalter. So I may say that a time or two. That's just, it's just a shorthand way of saying the book of psalms, right? The psalms are songs, S-O-N-G-S. They're, they're literally uh, Hebraic poetry that was put to music and sung. That's what it is. And God's people would sing these songs throughout the history uh, of their existence up until today. If you've read the Psalms heavily, you'll notice that even some of our songs now, whether it's hymns or praise songs, they're rooted in the Psalms. Oftentimes, that's the case. Even in the hymnal, you'll notice at the top, it'll have a, it'll have a, a verse from the Psalms listed there to kind of show you this is, this is where this Psalm, the, where it originated from, or there's a verse in this in this uh, hymn that refers to this psalm, these, these are songs that Jesus and his disciples would have sung in their day. And there's something about singing not only truth, but there's something about singing about our emotional state that is a very powerful, powerful thing. But we are singing truth. Uh, one, one, actually several people that I was reading said this, that, that the psalms actually incorporates all the theology you could wish for. Theology just means it's a study of God. It's understanding who God is. Well, you want to know who God is, you find it in Scripture. If you only look to one book to understand who God is, you can go to the Psalms and see all of God there that we could possibly see as human beings. It covers that much of God. It covers the history of God's people. It tells about God freeing His people from slavery in Egypt. And, ta- and this is written in the midst uh, of... The history of God's people, over 800 plus years, these psalms have been written. And some folks believe that all these psalms or songs that were written over 800 years began to be compiled together while they were in Babylonian captivity. And we talked about that last week. That when God's people were, were taken captive to Babylon, that they said, we've got to put these psalms together is a way to stay rooted in God as we have been uprooted out of our homes and now we are in a foreign land. Now, not all of them were uprooted, but many of them were. The Psalms are like a little Bible. They tell us so much about God. You'll find, actually, the Psalms are the most quoted book out of all the Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. The New Testament quotes Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. It is central to God's people's lives. Throughout history, the Psalms have been that important to us. But I think where it has touched me most over uh, the eight weeks that I had for a sabbatical is the way it touches human emotion and experience. I just jotted down a bunch of things that the Psalms deals with. 
when it comes to our emotional state and experience. I just want to share some of them with you. Share several of them with you. The whole range of human emotion experience. Exhilaration, frustration, discouragement, guilt, forgiveness, joy, gratitude, dealing with enemies, dealing with contentment and discontentment issues, feelings of loneliness, love, sorrow, discouragement, shame, exaltation, fear, peace, gratitude, confidence. All of these things, human emotion and experience, is found right here in the Psalms. So it's well worth reading, not only once, but multiple times through. But we're going to read it together as a church family, at least one time through. And I hope, if it isn't already, that it might become for you a practice of reading the Psalms on a regular basis. Now, as an introduction to Psalms, I want to talk about Psalm 1 and 2 because... Almost all the really smart folks who study, particularly the Psalms, say Psalm 1 and 2 is actually introductory Psalms. They're paired together as an introduction for the other 148 Psalms. So it makes for a great introduction to introduce to you Psalms through Psalm 1 and 2. So Psalm 1 and 2 are an introduction paired together that help us enter into the entirety of the Psalms. Psalm 1 deals with us as followers of God. And Psalm 2 deals with God as sovereign over all kingdoms. So one way you may be able to look at it is Psalm 2 talks about the kingdom of God and Psalm 1 talks about our role as citizens of that kingdom. Psalm 1 talks about two ways in which we can choose to live. The way of the wise or the way of the wicked. The way of the chaff or the way of the tree. The way that leads to destruction or a way that leads to prosperity. A way that leads to fruitfulness or a way that leads to fruitlessness. To be the latter and not the former, one must be planted in rich soil, right? That's what we read here. There's this tree planted by streams of water. I've already said that most folks kind of believe that that these psalms that were written over 800 plus years began to be put together in what we call the Psalter sometimes while they were in Babylonian captivity. And from what I read, I haven't experienced it, but Babylon evidently is not pretty land. Not lots of rivers, not lots of green. It's not very attractive. But if you've ever seen pictures of Israel or ever been there, it is beautiful. So they leave somewhere that is beautiful, where there's plenty of water and plenty of trees to an arid place with only one river in Babylon. And off that river, they would have tributaries that they would, you know, they they would cut ground out so the water could run out. You could have uh, irrigation ditches that would water other things. And you read here that this is not a tree just springing up in the midst of difficult circumstances in the land of Babylon. This is a tree that is planted near the water. Transplanted, moved from one place to another. It captures how the Israelites were feeling. We've been transplanted from home, Israel, beauty, trees, God's blessing to us. The temple where we worship. And now here we are in Babylon with none of those things. 
And so the psalmist begins, it's like, it's like a tree. We are to be like a tree taken and put in difficult circumstances and yet able to thrive. And that's the question that, you know, crosses our mind maybe fairly often now. How can we be flourishing in the midst of difficult circumstances? That's not a new question. They were asking this thousands of years ago, asking that very question. Here we are in captivity. How in the world are we going to thrive? And you see this picture of a tree that's been transplanted. And it's near what? What's it near? Streams of water. And because it is near streams of water, what's going to happen to this tree? It's going to produce fruit. This tree is going to be able to be fruitful in challenging circumstances because it is planted near streams of water. And what are these streams of water? This is something you'll see over and over again in Psalms, particularly if you read Psalm 119, which is the longest of all the Psalms. It's very long. Lots of verses in Psalm 119, right? What you're going to find, Psalm 119 and lots of other places in the Psalms, is the centrality of God's word. It's that when God speaks to us through the Bible, we believe that God inspired the Holy Scriptures. That when we read what other people wrote down, that God used them to write down the message he wanted us to hear. He wanted them to hear it, he wants us to hear it. To hear it as well. That when we read the Bible, we're, we're communicating with the living God. He is speaking to us and in our prayers and songs, we are speaking to Him. It says, that's what it's like. That's what this water is. Verse 2, he says, those who delight in the law of the Lord and those who meditate on His law day and night. That's a way of talking about Scripture. Particular parts of scripture to be sure, but you can apply this to the whole. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates it on day and night, that person is like a tree planted by water. If you want your life to be watered so that you can go through difficulty and still be fruitful for the Lord, it's going to come because you are planted near the word of God. That your roots are running up to that water and receiving the nutrition that is needed. The obvious question is then, are we in the word of God? And I'll confess, it can be a challenge. It can be a challenge, right, to read the Bible. And there's lots of reasons why it can be challenging. One of the greatest ones, if you're like me, is, you know, I've got four kids. And we love each other. We love each other so much, we like to share with each other. We like to share germs with each other. That's how much we love each other. And so that's where Marsha is. She's home uh, with a sick kiddo again because that's how much we love to share. And so, uh, but, you know, if you're raising a family right now, you got kids in the home, it requires a lot of time and attention. And that time and attention can wear you out. Where's the time and attention that you can give to the Lord, but it's required here with kids? It's, it's, it's a real issue. If you're working outside the home, it's a real issue. If you're staying at home raising kids, it's a real issue. One of the issues may be it's hard to understand. 
Listen, y'all, I've, I've been studying the Bible for 20 plus years, 25 years, something like that, when I first became a Christian and really started reading the Bible. I've been reading it, studying it, preaching it, teaching it. You know what I have to do every time I preach a sermon? I have to go read smart people because I feel like there's still stuff here I don't know that I need to know. I got to study. It's not always an easy thing to understand the scriptures. It can be a challenge sometimes. But there's also the challenge of distraction. We let the world distract us. Now, one of the things I love, and maybe you love it too, but I love the Bible app. Does any of you have the Bible in an app? Maybe it's not just the Bible app, some of you. Yeah, several of you do, right? Do you find it's easy to open the Bible app and then wonder about something that was happening on Twitter or Facebook or check your email or what's the weather going to be? We live in a world that is eager to distract us. People get paid lots of money to distract us, to pull us out of what we're doing and to what they want us to focus our attention on. But for every obstacle, there is opportunity. For every hurdle, there is the chance to leap over. You've been watching the Olympics? I just see the highlights. But the hurdles, I mean, if you could just run over those and keep going and win, you know, but you got to jump those things. And it can't be easy. And some of them, they get really tall. It's very impressive to me that you can do that. But see, it's not just up to us. God can help you leap over whatever hurdle is in front of you, keeping you from reading the Bible, because he wants you to read the Bible. It may require you asking him for the energy and strength you need. It may require you saying no to some things so you can clear some things in your schedule so that you can read the word of God. It may require that you give it the kind of attention to study it, to understand it. You know, sometimes, you know, you get instructions for a new toy, whatever it might be, and you read the instructions, right? Some of you do. Some of you are like, nope. But if you got a problem, you go to YouTube and look up videos. I'm not reading the instructions, but I'll look it up on YouTube and find some videos, right? If you've got a problem, you go to someone else who owns that same thing and says, I got this going on. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? What do you do? You problem solve. You may not understand the Bible when you pick it up and read it. Problem solved. One of the best solutions to that, to be honest with you, in addition to coming to small group Bible study on Sunday morning, when we restart those uh, next week, coming to the worship service and hearing God's word preached, that's not enough. Those are good starts, but they're not going to be enough. You've got to read and study the Bible for yourself. And one of the greatest tools you can ever have for reading and studying the Bible, aside from your church family and the Holy Spirit, is a good study Bible. And it will explain some things that are hard to understand in Scripture sometimes. I use it every single week. I use like three different study Bibles. The NLT, the HSCB, I always get these initials mixed up. Um, and the ESV study Bible. These are great study Bibles. NIV study Bible. These are great study Bibles. And they're not that expensive. You can get one for 25 bucks or so. You may not have 25 bucks. I, will, I'll, I, have, I purposely buy study Bibles, especially when they're on sale. And I put them in our library to give away. So if anybody wants to get serious about reading and understanding Scripture, I just hand them a study Bible. You can do this in Psalms. This would be a great way to start. Get a study Bible, read the Psalm, read the study notes underneath the Scripture to better understand the Psalms. See, if there isn't a hurdle to leap over, with God's help, you can do it. Whether it's time, energy, understanding, or distraction. But here's the payoff. It's exactly what the psalmist says in Psalm 1. Here's the payoff. 
Whatever you do will prosper. You will be fruitful. I'm not saying you read the Bible and money gets added to your bank account. That's not what I'm saying. That's not how it works. It's a different kind of prosperity. It's a different kind of fruitfulness. And it's actually far, far more valuable than how much money you have in the bank or what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you live in. It's far more valuable than any of that. It's the ability to walk through challenge. Yes, surviving sometimes, but also thriving. Because it doesn't take much to look around and, and realize that's hard to do. A lot of people are struggling. And they don't know how to struggle well. They're finding one challenge after the other. And they can't seem to find a way to rise to meet that challenge. Life is hard. It's not easy. If, you, if it's easy for you right now, just wait. Just wait. Reminds me of, <laughs> we went to the beach. One of my favorite things to do, I'm going to give you all a little hint, a little tip. If you don't know this already, many of you do. If you go to the beach in the evening, first of all, it's cooler. Most of the people have left. You don't have to use sunscreen. And you get a beautiful view of the sunset. You're welcome. Try that out. It's great. So we took our kids to the beach one afternoon, going easing into the evening. And there's this other family there with a couple kids, and we're having a good time. And, and uh, we, were, we were loaning them our, our little tubes, and they were going out, and mom and dad were having a great time with them. And one of the little kids, he's so cute, he said, where do these waves come from? And I thought, well, it has something to do with the moon. I don't know. Ask your mom. She'll Google it. I don't know. It's just one after another, one wave after another, right? And that could be like the challenges we face. It just kind of feels like one wave after another. I just, I just got over this wave, and here comes another one. But guess what? In life with God, not only will you find that there are waves that challenge you, you'll find that you can surf those waves. Not literally. Some of you don't try that. You'll never make it out of the ocean. But figuratively, that God will allow you to conquer those waves. I don't see how that happens outside of a life rooted in the Word of God. That's how important it is. If you want to be fruitful, if you want to flourish, remember, this is not written by people or sung by people or put together in the Psalter by people who were going through an easy time. It may be hard for you right now, but just imagine someone coming to your door with weaponry and authority and an army and saying, you're leaving here, you're coming with us, you're going to do what we say, we're in charge of you now. That's what God's people are going through. At least in one point in history, as they sing these psalms, you'll find they're singing about that kind of challenge. And yet they found a way to flourish. And what Psalm 1 tells us is that happened because they saw God's word as a delight. Now, sometimes it feels like a duty. Sometimes it feels difficult I can tell you from experience 
The more time you spend with God and His Word, and the more He reveals Himself to you, the more you sense that He is speaking to you. He is talking. Have you ever read the Bible and you feel like, God is God just spoke to me. I read the psalm or any part of Scripture, and I sense God is saying something to me through the Bible. That's how it works. That's not coming your way without real time and attention, without real intentionality. That's not coming your way. But when you do that, not every time you pick up the Bible, but often enough, you will have that kind of Holy Spirit moment. And He gives you such strength to face what's coming each and every day. And what will begin to happen is you will see God's Word as a delight. Now, in some ways, to get over to Psalm 2, we're talking about what it looks like to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. It's to be rooted in the Word of God. But let's get over to Psalm 2, and let's see the kingdom of God. Remember, these folks are in Babylonian captivity, right? They're not in charge of their own lives. They see these rulers that mock God, that hate God, that don't do anything that God says. And they wonder, you'll see it throughout Psalms, they wonder, God, when are you going to set things right? Psalm 2 begins and says, Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, verse 2, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed. Multiple places I read these past few weeks studying the Psalms that this idea of God's kingship is actually the center of all the Psalms. If you want to understand the heartbeat of the Psalter, then just look no further than the reality that God is king above all things. He is king. Babylonian emperors are not. He is king. Circumstances are not. He is king. Our own appetites and desires are not. God is king. So you read in verse 4, The one enthroned in heaven, I like this, He laughs, the Lord scoffs at them, He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, which is Jerusalem, like we talked about last week. What's happening here? Imagine you're them, you're looking around. God doesn't seem to be on His throne. Chaos everywhere. We got a new king. He doesn't know God. He doesn't follow God. He doesn't love God. And as they would have sang, if they as they would have sung Psalm two together, they would have been reminding themselves it's not what it seems. It may look like this, but the reality is that God is still on His throne, reigning and ruling from there. That he knows what he's doing. And while he may allow some wickedness for a time, he is coming to set up his kingdom. And you see hints of that in this passage about a king. God's king. And in fact, you may not realize it when you read it. But Messiah, Christ, Messiah is the Hebrew word, Christ is the Greek word is found in this passage, right at the end of verse 2, where it says, 
you know, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's what Messiah means. Same word, to be anointed by God, to be the king. That God is king. He's sending a king himself. God the Father is sending Jesus the Son to be the king of the earth. And the promise to David is that there will be someone from your line. Remember David who killed the giant? David who was king over Israel? That someone from that that line of David would sit on the throne of God forever and ever and ever. And then Christ comes and fulfills that promise. So the answer here is that, look, my people, I know. I know you wonder if I'm still in charge, but have no doubts I am. And that is good news. When your king is Jesus, that is good news. When your king is not an oppressive king, but an uplifting king, not a king who's out to get from you what he wants, but is out to give to you what you need. When you have that kind of king, a king that doesn't demand your life to support his kingdom, but gives his life so that you can get into the kingdom. That's the kind of king we have in Jesus. So we see these two things playing out in Psalm 1 and 2. Psalm 2 tells us God's kingdom is sure. He sits on the throne and he is going to provide a king that will rule and reign forever. The anointed The son of the father. An eternal king. And Psalm 2 tells us how we live within his kingdom. How do we live within the kingdom of God? Because here's the thing. I have a whole section on this and I'm not going to have time for it. This is really good stuff too. Uh, Sometimes I write much better than I preach. So I should just write it out and read it. But y'all would be so bored by that, wouldn't you? I'd be bored by that. Psalm 1 tells us about the kingdom of God. Psalm 2 tells us how to live within that kingdom. But I know this is language that we're not always accustomed to, right? But you're smart people. You wouldn't be here if you weren't smart. All those other people that stayed home, you know, we question them. But you, you're the smartest of all of them. And you can understand what kingdom means, right? There's someone in charge and everybody follows their lead. But here's the deal, is that In every one of our lives, we get to choose the kingdom we will be in and who will sit on the throne. God, at this point in human history, is not forcing us into his kingdom. He is not forcing us to enter into those gates and hand hand, hand him our ticket and say, I get in because Jesus bought the ticket for me, so I get into the kingdom. He's not forcing you, is he, every day to pick up your Bible and read it so that you can live as a citizen of his kingdom in the ways he wants you to. He doesn't force us. We get to choose. More often than not, you know who I'm choosing to be in charge of my kingdom? Me. And it's a bad idea. You know how much more I know now than I did five years ago or ten years ago? I look back and I say, my goodness, how did I even make it? How did I pay bills? How did I get to my car? How did I eat? I knew so little. It's embarrassing, really. Imagine in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. I'll look back now and say, 
Guy's approaching 40, doesn't know what he's doing. We're a terrible king. We don't even know what we don't know. And we change our mind constantly and our emotions. One day we're up, one, more day, one day we're down. We're a terrible king. It would be a very bad idea to put you on the throne of your life and you call your own shots. It would be a very bad idea. It would be just as bad to put somebody else on the throne. Someone else to call the shots for you. Your friends or someone you see on TV or some, someone you, you know, pay attention to on social media. And, and they're going to tell you what to think. They're going to tell you how to feel. They're going to tell you what to do. That is also a very bad idea. Because even though they may know a little bit more than you, probably not much. I was joking with my friends the other day. We're together as pastors visiting. And, and I got my doctor. One of them made mention of that. It always feels a little awkward to talk about because I'm not trying to brag. And I told him, to be honest with you, these people with doctors, they don't know much. They just know a lot about a little. They know a lot about like one small little thing. They're ignorant of so much. I know that because I got one and I realize how very little I know about so many things. I can tell you a lot about a little bit. That's the difference. I mean, think of the person who can jump the highest in the world. How high are they getting off the ground? 40 inches, 50 inches? That's, I don't know. Can anybody jump 50 inches? Some of you young athletes might know. That's impressive. But imagine that compared to getting from here to the moon. It's nothing. Imagine the wisdom of those you listen to compared to the wisdom of God. Whatever they know may be more than you, but it's nothing compared to what God knows. So putting someone else in your life, whether flesh and blood or someone you see on a screen in charge of your life, would be just as bad of an idea as putting yourself in charge of your life. Who should sit on the throne? Not you, not others. Maybe it's things that sits on the throne of your life. It's the desire for things. It's the desire to be somebody, to have a title, to have success, to have money, to drive a particular car, to have a particular house. Those things that you desire can sit on the throne of your life, call the shots, make decisions for you, tell you how to think and feel and do. Those things are so temporary. A title, that money, whatever you're after, whatever's calling the shots in your life, you realize it's not going to last. Even if it's great for the 80, 90 years you're here in this world, you can't take it with you. So if things are calling the shot in your life, if, if that's what's in charge of your life, if that's what's telling you what to think and feel and do, those things are going to perish. But see, there is one who deserves to be on the throne. And it's Christ. There is a rightful king of our lives. It's Jesus. Here's the thing. Is he knows us as we are. There's no pretending with him. There is no hiding. So when he says he loves you, listen to this. When he says he loves you, it's not puppy love. He knows what he's loving. He knows we're feeble and frail. He knows we're dust. He knows we're sinners. And he still loves us. He has no rose-colored glasses when he sees us. And yet he still loves us. He doesn't love us because he's trying to get something from us. He's not trying to be the king so that he can use us. He's the king who gave himself for us. 
Therefore, he deserves to be on the throne of our life. And when he's on the throne of our life, we are living in his kingdom. He's calling the shots. We're rooted in the word of God that is nourishing that relationship. We delight in the laws of the Lord because it's helping us get to know him better, to love him more, and to obey him more faithfully. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you build our lives. That you put together our lives in a way that would be pleasing to you. That you'd help us to honor you with what we think and what we do, what we say. God, that we would be pleasing to you. That you build our lives as a tree is planted near fresh streams of water. That no matter the circumstance, we will be fruitful and, and prosperous. Because our roots go deep in you. Pray that you challenge us to walk out of this place today with a renewed commitment to root our lives in your word, in your son Jesus, who is, as John said, the word that came from heaven to earth for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.